right, let's turn to our Bibles to the book of Galatians. We're getting close to finishing up on the book. We began several weeks ago. We'll have one more message after this, and that should close out the book. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're at. We'll read the first 10 verses to get us started tonight. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let a man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I do pray the Spirit of God would teach us as we study this book. May we definitely never miss the main message of the book and also other admonitions that are given to us, especially here in chapter 6. So, Lord, you work your way in our lives and our hearts. We'll praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. The human author of the book of Galatians is who? Very good. We got two dates that we've been using for the dates of the writing of the book of Galatians. The first date is what? 58. And the second date is what? 40. Very good. Understand there are two schools of thoughts about it. We don't know who's right. But as far as the truth of Scripture is concerned, it doesn't matter. It still means exactly what it said in all of it. There is Bible evidence, by the way, for either date. And so we know it can't be both of them. But forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And the book is written to who? The churches. Now, Galatia, as we look at the map today, uh, Galatia is in the very middle part of what we know as Turkey today. Now, the first cities that Paul and Barnabas went to on their first missionary journey, uh, those were the cities of Galatia, Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and Antioch, and Pisidia. Uh, so that's that area, and was written to those churches and any others that had started uh, between the beginning of those churches and then the writing of the book of Galatians, either way. So the purpose of the book is what? Correcting error. Very good. And the theme of the book is what? Justified. And remember the key verse is found in chapter 2 and verse what? Let's all find it. We'll read it out loud together. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now remember the key to understanding any of the epistles of the Apostle Paul to begin with has to do with this. 
Remember that as the book was written to the people that it was addressed to, they were expected to understand it. They were expected to get it. So understand in that first reading, they knew what he was talking about. They knew who he was talking about. They knew the issues that were involved and they knew what Paul was saying about it. There wasn't a question. There's a lot of New Testament they didn't have yet. They didn't have the Gospel of John yet. They didn't have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Didn't have the book of the Revelation. Didn't have the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy yet. Uh, They didn't have the books of 1st and 2nd Peter yet. Probably didn't have the book of Jude yet. So there were a number of books that they didn't have yet. There may be some others. Well, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they didn't have those yet. They didn't have the book of Romans yet, if we go by the earlier date. So there's a lot they didn't have, and they were expected to understand it. Just like with all the Bible, it wasn't written for the theologians. It was written for believers, and that's all believers. Whether it's a person who only went to fourth grade in school or a person who uh, didn't even go to school, but they got born again, it's written for them. And it's written for the college professor too, but it's not a different meaning. It's the same meaning for all. And whereas there may be many applications in Scripture or to a particular Scripture, there is one primary interpretation. And if your applications are contrary to the primary meaning of the book, then you've got a bad application. You need to understand that as you study your Bible. It's not just what anybody says it is. Doctrine does matter. And in some cases, it is the difference between heaven and hell. Now, to review again, of course, the problem that they had been dealing with after the Apostle Paul and Barnabas left the area of Galatia. There were some people that came in. Uh, The commentators call them Judaizers. They were people zealous for the law who were out of the churches of Jerusalem and Judea in that area. And they began to teach the people that they had to be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. But we're not justified by circumcision. We're not justified by baptism. We are justified by faith in Christ. Period. And this is so important that he begins the book with a strong rebuke. I marvel that you are so soon removed. And he says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats the curse in the very next verse. And then Paul tells us where he got the gospel. He didn't get it from Peter. He didn't get it from James. He didn't get it from the other apostles. He got it from Jesus Christ himself on the Damascus road. It's important that we understand that. He laid it out here clearly for them. And after all, they shouldn't have had problems with that because he was the one that actually led these people to Christ. And since he had led them to Christ, you'd think they'd be solid. But it's amazing how Christians are so eager to hear some new thing. As a matter of fact, I had brought to me, and by the way, there are all kinds of cults out there to give you numbers of things, but uh, uh, evidently they have mailed around in the area Uh, a bunch of real sharp-looking magazines called Cosmic Conflict. Anybody here here tonight have have received one of those yet? Sharp magazine. uh, But a number of different areas they've mailed them out to. And it's put out by people called Amazing Facts. Now, you look through it. It's sharp, man. It's, It's as good of drawings and everything as you can imagine. But you just can't figure out who it's by. Now, that always tells me something. When I see something that's done sharply like that, and you can read through it and still not have a clue who it is that put it out, it's put out by the Seventh-day Adventists. 
They used to go around and throw paperback books in driveways of people. And you go and look at it. You say, well, who, who's getting this out? You'd have to look at the back, at the bibliography as to who they're quoting from, different names that are referenced. And you would see names like D.L. Moody and so on. But I always look for E.G. White because if it's Ellen G. White, then you know it's Seventh-day Adventist. All right. In their, in their statement of faith, they say they believe a person is uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. They use Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But then they'll turn around the next breath and tell you if you don't keep the fourth commandment, that is the Sabbath, then you're going to die and go to hell. You've lost your salvation. Well, I'm sorry. It's not keeping the Sabbath. It's not circumcision. It's not baptism that saves anybody. But anyway, uh, you get into chapter 2 and the apostle Paul lets us know that he even rebuked Peter to the face when Peter, who had been with the church up at Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were at, that when the believers came from the church at Jerusalem, some of those zealous for the law, that he separated from the Gentile Christians and only ate with the Jewish Christians. The thing is, his influence was so powerful that it even infected Barnabas. It even bothered the Jewish believers that were there at the church. And Paul rebukes him for that, and he rebuked him because the reality is our belief ought to be manifested in the things that we do. And here he was by his very actions. He was denying justified by faith because he was turning toward the law. In his actions, he's not saying that Peter had become a heretic or anything like that at all. He does basically say that about those who were bringing in another gospel. He calls them false brethren in chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, he continues with a rebuke of the Galatians for the things that they had started to take in. You know, he gives a good warning to the Romans later on when he writes in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Doctrine is absolutely vital. Now, I know the emerging church doesn't get it. These loose loose living churches don't get it. They don't understand it. But doctrine is vitally important. As the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for first thing, doctrine, doctrine. And he warns the church that there's coming a time when they will not endure sound what? Doctrine. But they'll heap unto themselves teachers of false doctrine, having itching ears. It's important. You need to find out what the book says and stand on it, whether it's popular or not. I was talking to a preacher just yesterday, and uh, we were recounting the fact that the truth is there are a lot of independent Baptists. We're just standing where we've always stood, but a lot of independent Baptists aren't anywhere close to us anymore. The same thing has happened to the independent Baptists that went with the Southern Baptists. Matter of fact, practically every group that's come along wanting to get back to the teachings of the Bible after a few years, they're as liberal as the groups that were before them. But that's the nature of man because of this flesh. I'm getting off the subject here. In chapter 4, he continues on. He reminds them of how they received him in chapter 4. In chapter 5, still talking about being justified by faith. He mentions the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. Liberty. Why? We've been justified. It is a done deal. It is settled. There's no question as to where we are going. If we trusted Christ as Savior, we're going to heaven. It cannot be taken away. We don't have to worry whether or not we have done enough to get to heaven because he did it all. 
and we're trusting him, period. That settles. And for those who believe that it comes by works, they have fallen from grace. That doesn't mean they've lost salvation. They have obviously fallen from the teachings of grace. These people were not in great sin in their lifestyle. If they were trying to keep the law, then they were being good. There was no immorality among them if they were trying to keep the law. Matter of fact, they were, they were trying to toe the line in order to get saved now, uh, which was the heresy that they were involved in. That was the problem. We don't live good in order to be saved. We live good because we are saved. It's settled. I have liberty now to do right. I have liberty to live right because of what I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember we got to the end of chapter 5 and three times he tells us near the end of chapter 5 that we're to walk in the spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he tells us what the lust of the flesh is with another incident of reminding us that we are to walk in the spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So now through this whole book, we've been dealing with being justified by faith. So now for the very last chapter of this book, in the last part of chapter 5, he goes to what it means to walk in the Spirit compared to walking in the flesh. He expects us to walk right. It does matter how you live. we got a lot of loose-living Christians, even a lot of loose-living Baptists who think that it doesn't matter anymore because they're saved by grace. And they have been either hoodwinked by the world or simply false doctrine. They're going to find out at the judgment seat of Christ that it does matter how they live. And then it'll be too late to do anything about it. Again, we are justified by faith. You get to chapter 6. I call this the wrap-up. In these first 10 verses, he reminds us if we're walking in the Spirit, our responsibility to others. You see, we had a chapter division here. Understand, the chapter divisions are man-made. God didn't put chapter divisions in the Scripture. He didn't put verse divisions in the Scripture. They weren't written that way. That was added by men over a thousand years after the Scripture had been given. So you've got to be careful. Sometimes you'll find chapter divisions in some passages of Scripture where the same thought continues on. For instance, when he tells us to flee fornication in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you get into chapter 7, you'd almost think he changed the subject. But it's plain he hadn't changed the subject about fornication. He says, now concerning the things, he laid the groundwork for what he was going to say next. Concerning the things I've written unto you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Still talking about fornication. And yet you got a chapter division in there. So we're here in chapter 6. Understand, they wouldn't have had a chapter division when the letter from the Apostle Paul was being read to them. That's just a continuation. He's gone from being justified by faith now to what it means then, since we're, we have liberty in Christ, we've been justified by faith. Now, here's what that ought to mean in our actions. Verse 1, he deals with toward fallen brethren. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now keep your hand here a moment. What does that mean about overtaking in a fault? Go over to Hebrews chapter 3. And I want you to notice verses 11 and 12 in the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Here he says, uh, yes, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 11. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It is possible for anybody here, you think of the most spiritual person that you may know in this congregation, and it's possible for that person to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Everybody has the potential of doing wrong, of doing wickedness. Why? Well, we already learned from chapter 5 and verse 19 that we all have the flesh on us and the works of the flesh which are manifest. That's not good stuff. You understand? We all have that potential. Even Paul said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. But I want you to notice, he's not telling this to everybody. Who does he say he's talking? He's talking to brethren. But what kind of brethren? Spiritual brethren. Well, who are spiritual brethren? Those walking in the spirit. Are you walking in the spirit right now? Are you walking in the flesh? Where are you at? What controls your actions? Do you find yourself walking in the spirit? If you're that kind of a a brother or sister in Christ, then he's talking to you. This is your responsibility. In the Hebrews passage, they had a responsibility to one another. They were to uh, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. When scripture tells us that we're not to be like others, but we're, to be, uh, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, he says, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, you see, that's what makes assembly so important. If you don't assemble, you can't exhort. And I think that's why some people miss a lot of church. Some people are afraid of being exhorted. Matter of fact, usually you start slipping in your life. You're not as crazy about church attendance as what you were when you were walking with the Lord. You can tell the difference in our actions. That's just the way we are. So he says, exhort one another daily. And he says, we're to do this, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, he gives us a couple of different things he's going to be talking about here. But these kinds of error could be doctrinal error or it could be practical error. You say, what about, uh, what about we're not to judge one another? Well, wait a second. Now you've brought up another passage and you're making the message longer. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7. You need to quit interrupting the preaching. Wally, you heard him say it, didn't you? I didn't say you said it. All right. Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. Now notice he starts out saying, judge not lest ye be judged. Now, who's he talking to? Don't take it out of context. He's talking to somebody. Notice, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And why beholdest the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou what? He's talking to the hypocrites. He's talking to the believers who are walking in the flesh. That's who he's talking to. The hypocrites. 
He's saying, he says, all right, your brother got a moat in his eye. Make sure you don't have a beam in yours. And when you get the beam out of yours, then you help the brother. He doesn't say, don't worry about it. Are we our brother's keeper? Yes, we are. We do have a responsibility to one another. When we come to church, it's not just to come to hear the preaching of the word of God. And it's not just to sing, but it's also to exhort one another. That's why you, you don't come in late and leave early. I remember we had one couple that came for a couple of months. And they, they came after the, every service started. And then when the invitation started, they always walked out the door. After a while, they stopped coming. Went over and asked, why, why'd you stop coming? He said, well, the church just wasn't friendly. Well, you didn't give them an opportunity to be friendly. How could they be friendly? Nobody even got to know you. You came in late. They're quiet. They're paying attention to the service. They're worshiping God. We have a responsibility at church to one another. That's everybody's ministry. Spiritual. He says, restore such a one, a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. By the way, uh, we can also go over to James chapter 5. Notice how the book of James ends. Now, I realize they, didn't, they probably didn't have the book of James. They might have had it at that time. But notice how the book ends. Verse 19, he says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Again, caring for one another. As a matter of fact, most of chapter 5 has to do with caring for others. All right, so we're to uh, help the brother who is failing in their walk. Number two, he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, obviously, if, if you don't come, you don't even know what others' burdens are. You don't have any idea. How in the world are you going to help bear their burdens? Bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what was the law of Christ? What was the great commandment that Jesus gave? He, he, he tells them to love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. He says, we know we pass, this is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. The latter part of chapter 2, again, he talks about real love, which is love in action. Bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, listen, that doesn't mean necessarily you got to give them $500 because they're a little short on cash this week. But it not, does mean being concerned enough to let them know that you are praying for them and even pray with them. Just the other day, I was with a dear brother, uh, not a member of Madison Baptist Church, but a dear brother none, nonetheless. And it was kind of obvious it was down some. And so we talked for a little while, and I just finally said, well, brother can I just pray for you right now? And I put my arm around his shoulder and just had a word of prayer asking God to help him and bless him. And I want to tell you, the light in his eyes, after saying amen, the light in his eyes was totally different than what it was just a few moments before. Some people just need to know you care. Whose burdens have you helped to lift? Whose burdens have you helped to bear? We have that responsibility for one another. And then he says, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. If you think you're too good for that, you're not good at all. 
For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing. You know, I remind myself all the time, God got along without me for millenniums. And he did just fine. And when I die, he'll still do just fine. God doesn't need me. He gives me the privilege of being able to serve, but he doesn't need me. And I know he's had a lot better servants than me. I know that. You know, through the years, one of the dangers, for instance, when I was a radio disc jockey, one of the dangers of that is that you get people calling, and you're kind of a celebrity. Now, you're not a national celebrity. You're just a local hometown celebrity. But nevertheless, people recognize you, you know, and I did all those different, um, different shows with famous artists and all that, and, and people recognize you. But you know what? When you go off the scene, they forget you. They don't care. The thing about radio and TV and all of that, it tends to give you a much bigger head. You're not as important as you think you are. I remember when I was working at WMOC radio station in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, I was at the station alone. I was playing music. It was probably on a Saturday, I reckon. I was playing the gospel music of the radio station. And we had a light in the control room. When somebody walked in the door, that way the person in the control room could see that somebody has entered the building. And it wasn't Elvis, by the way. Um, but I saw the light come on. I, I put a record on, and I went out, and toward the front office, uh, there was a lady standing there. And so I said, can I help you? And she said, you know, I just wanted you to know, uh, Brother Allison, that you have been such a blessing to me and my husband. You have, uh, I tell you, we just appreciate the music. And my head's going, I'm trying to keep it down, of course. Anyway, but, and she carried on for a little bit. And then I, I could hear that the record was about to come to an end. So I had to get back into the control room. So I said, thank you very much. It's very kind of you to do that. And, you know, I turned around to go back into the control room, and I'll guarantee you God had one of his angels take the secretary's chair there at the desk and put it right behind me. Because when I turned around to get back into the control room, I fell flat on my face. I mean, the gal turned around at the door. I don't think she laughed. Well, maybe she did. I don't know. I was, I was red-faced and just wanted to get back and hide in the control room for a while. You know, we all... You take a look at a dead body, it doesn't do much, does it? Doesn't have a whole lot going on. But man think himself to be something when he is nothing. Be careful about what you think of yourself. Now, Robert Schuller, in his book, The New Reformation, said man's problem is not that he's a sinner, but that his self-esteem is too low. That's not what God says in Ephesians chapter 5. There's never been a man yet that hated his own body. Our problem is we think way too high of ourselves. We need to think high of God. So we get to verse 4. He gives us something else. If we're walking in the spirit that we should do. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What do you mean prove his own work? You make sure what you're doing is right. You prove your own work. Because what if nobody does pat you on the back? What if nobody does notice what you've done? You teach in a Sunday school class uh, for a pastor or a missionary you're at church and you find the very people you've been knocking yourself out for are talking and saying things behind your back. What do you do then? Well, who, who are you serving? 
If you're serving God, then you just keep serving Him. Whether anybody pats you on the back, well, that church just doesn't appreciate me. No, you think too high of yourself. That's your problem or you wouldn't even notice. Don't worry about it. You just keep serving the Lord, teaching your Sunday school class. I tell you, I think one of the most discouraging jobs in the church has got to be youth pastor. Because one Sunday, man, you think you've got the greatest youth group that any youth pastor's ever had any time in the history of mankind. And just a week and a half later, you wonder where all these demons came from. (laughs) What happened to the kids I used to have here? And yet they've got the same faces. They got the same last names that they've had before. Because kids, you understand adolescents, they're like this. They're up and down and up and down and up and down. That's adolescence. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. And the psychologists, they've got to guess they don't have it right because they miss the work of the flesh. They haven't, for the most part, young people have not gotten a hold of themselves yet. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand why they're here. They think that everything, because of what's gone on in this country in the last several years, they think everything centers around them because we've become a society. It's all about the children. It's all about just not about the children. It's about God. What happens is these tykes that have been taught it's all about them, they grow up. Now they're adults. And the present group of kids think it's all about them. And so now they're upset that nobody's paying attention to them anymore. And they wonder why people who've been around for 50 years or 60 years don't think very highly of their opinion of things. Because I guarantee you, all of you people have been around for a few years, you've already had some experiences, you've learned some things. It'd be good for young people to sit back, look, and pay attention and think. It's how even Christian kids, by the way, get caught up in some sharp speaker that is communist or socialist and somehow think it's a good thing. And there's nothing good about it. It's wicked. It's ungodly. It spawned the likes of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. Good night, Mao Zedong, and the the murder of millions and millions of people. Wow. What got me going on that? They didn't get that in the early service this morning. I didn't even see a note. I didn't write any notes down here on that. So pay attention. Prove your own work. And then he says toward teachers, verse 6 is interesting. You that are walking in the spirit, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Communicate. Those who are taught in the word have a responsibility to share, to take care of those who teach the word. Now, I don't believe in this passage he's necessarily just talking about the pastor, but that's part of it, to share in all good things. As a matter of fact, Romans 15, 27 says, It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty also is to minister unto them carnal things, to take care of their needs. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, you remember in the passage, which goes from chapter 8 through chapter 10, It's dealing with eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. In chapter 8, Paul basically makes this point. He's saying if uh, you ought to be willing, if you're so spiritual, you ought to be willing not to eat meat offered to idols for the sake of, quote, unquote, weaker brethren. 
And then in chapter 9, he gives three reasons, three things that it was perfectly right for Paul to do that he didn't do and for their sake and for the ministry of the gospel's sake. And then in chapter 10, he strictly forbids them from eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols. Now, I gave you the background for it. Notice beginning in verse 9. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Interesting point. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. But suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live the gospel. And then he says, but I have used none of these things. But that's not the end of it. He said... He didn't use it. He didn't want these Gentiles at Corinth to think that he was some, uh, some shuckster came, coming along just to get their stuff. And so, so that they would hear the gospel, he didn't make them take care of him. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When he writes the second letter, notice in verse 12, he says, Truly, The signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Now underline those next four words. Forgive me this what? Wrong. Wrong. You see, when he went to them and won those people to Christ, he didn't make them take care of him in the carnal things. He was a tent maker. That's how he took care of things. I mean, after all, his purpose in all this was not to get paid. His purpose was to spread the gospel. But when he writes back and he reminds them that he didn't take anything from them. But now in the second letter that he writes, he says, forgive me this wrong. Now, why was that? Because he didn't teach them to take care of the man of God. There was a good man, good, good pastor. He's in heaven today. He was a good friend of mine. He was a man who had worked for the 3M company up in Chicago, Illinois, had retired with a great pension, came down to South Tennessee, was pastoring in one of the cities of South Tennessee, had a small congregation, good folks. I preached for him two or three times and uh, just, just good folks. He died. Now, he hadn't taken up an offering. They needed a pastor. The problem was they hadn't taught the congregation to take care of a pastor. Now, this congregation has always taken care of me real fine. I have absolutely no complaints. By the way, since I'm the one that makes out the budget, if I'm not getting enough, I need to look in the mirror and get mad at me. Isn't that right? So that's the way it's worked. But here's the thing. The havers, every church has a responsibility to take care of its pastor. 
not just as pastor, those that teach. First time that I was in Uganda, we went out in the bush. I think, Larry, were you with us when Westenberger went and Brother Derego and all that, and Westenberger got real sick on whatever that stuff was. They had to drink. But anyway, we were preaching at a, a little brush arbor, and uh, I, I remember walking up to that because this was in the bush and the huts that were there, um, they had cassava on mats on the ground that they were breaking up, and cassava is one of those tasteless foods like grits, uh, except grits are all, already small and cassava is not. But um, I preached. We had probably, I don't know, 20 or so underneath the brush arbor and then at least twice that money, many around the brush arbor. And I preached, gave an invitation. I think three might have come forward. And then Brother Cook got up and Brother Cook... Uh, he carried on the invitation. Another four came forward, so seven were saved. It was a good meeting. And uh, we were talking and fellowshipping and noticed that most of the ladies were gone. So in a little bit, we start hear some singing in one of the huts, and the ladies were coming out. I believe they were in single file. I'm not 100% sure about my memory on that. But in single file, and the one in the front had a, a little bowl with a live chicken in it. And so they're singing and they walk, walk right up to me and gave me the chicken for coming to a live chicken. And I figured this is not going to fit in my suitcase to fly back to the United States. This isn't going to work. Well, you know, the cooks ended up fixing it later on and we had it. But uh, what were they doing? They were practicing a biblical principle. You understand that communicating doesn't necessarily mean money. It means providing something for them, just like the ox is provided for in the law of Moses. All right? There are some people, by the way, even some Baptists, who think that their preachers shouldn't get paid. And the truth is, that's unbiblical. The congregation has a responsibility. Now... With that in mind, we move on to the next one. Be not deceived. All right, you folks who are spiritual, if you're going to walk in the spirit, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. All right, now he's talking about what we sow and not out in the field, but our lifestyle in our walk. Now remember, we're justified by faith. We're not talking about going to heaven or going to hell. Here we're talking about what you're going to reap in life. The law of sowing and reaping still works. And when you talk about reaping, there are really five laws of sowing and reaping. The size of, what, uh, of that which is reaped is usually larger than that which is sown. You take a kernel of corn, just one kernel of corn off an ear that has I don't know how many kernels of corn, and you put that in the ground, plant it, and the stalk comes up, ends up having probably two to three ears with hundreds of You always get more than what you sowed. It's that way in life. It says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Understand this about life. If you will learn this Early, it will help you greatly and avoid an awful lot of trouble in life. There's a lot of people who are mad at God simply because God's fulfilled his word and you're reaping what you've been sowing. 
And if you've sown wrong, expect to reap wrong and expect to reap a lot of wrong. But he's not, I'm not done. The amount that we reap is proportional to that which we sow. He teaches that in 2 Corinthians also. He that soweth little reapeth little. He that soweth much reapeth much. Not only that, the thing reaped is the same type as that which is sown. For example, uh, if I put corn in the ground, I am not getting wheat. If I put corn in the ground, corn is what's coming up. You reap wrong. I mean, you're so wrong, you're going to reap wrong. And you're going to reap a lot of it. Let me give you the other two before I explain that a little more. The thing reaped cannot be entirely different from the thing that is sown. And there is a delay in the production of the fruit to be reaped. In other words, you very seldom reap the day that you sowed. Reaping may come along days later, may come along a long time later, but you can count on it. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Every young adult, every young family, if you'll get this, you understand, you think about doing something wrong that you think you can possibly get away with, there's a God in heaven, he's going to see to it, you're going to reap what you sowed. Now, just learn it. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. It will keep you from an awful lot of evil in life. You want to have a happier life? You want to have your best life now? You want to have your best life now? So right. So right. Now, here's the thing. I've seen this happen many times. A person gets off into sin. And they get to feeling convicted about it. They feel bad about it. They get right with God. And when they, when they confess it to God, when they repent, God does forgive them. Hallelujah. But then a few weeks later or a month later or even two months later, the first harvest comes in. The first reaping comes in. And they can't understand it. I got right with God. Why is this happening? I thought he forgave me. He did forgive you. But he doesn't take away the reaping. Hey, when David got right with God in Psalm 51, God forgave him, but the baby still died. Amnon later, years later, Amnon rapes his da- his, uh, David's daughter Tamar. Then Amnon is killed. David just, he's still reaping from his sin. Still reaping. When Absalom runs him off the throne, this is years after he committed that sin with Bathsheba. Solomon's now an adult man. And we find Absalom running David off the throne, shaming David before the world. And then we see Absalom hanging from a tree. And David, oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I died for thee. Hey, David, you're just reaping. As sad as what that is. You know how that all could have been avoided? If he'd just kept Bathsheba out of his bedroom, there'd been no Absalom hanging from a tree. Now, it works like this. Sow right, reap right. Sow wrong, reap wrong. Sow wrong, you can get forgiven, but you still got to reap. When it comes, don't cry about it. Don't get mad at God about it. Don't blame the church about it. You sowed it. You reap it. Own it. Be an adult. It's part of living in the world. God set it up. God warns us in his word. That it's like that. That's just the way it is. So learn from it. No, I want to do what I want to do, and I shouldn't have any consequences. That's not life. Doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like 
Verse 9. You got that? You got it. Oh, here's a ministry verse. Now, who's he writing to right now? He's already, he's completed the thing about being justified by faith. He's told them now that you're at liberty, hey, you can uh, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the law of the flesh. So now he says this. He says, be now, and let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we reap if we faint not. I remember when I brought Brother Puente here from, uh, from Spain to be the pastor of our Spanish congregation. At that time, we were running about 40 in our Spanish congregation every Sunday. And, um, man, God, God was blessing that. But when we sat down, we took uh, he and Packy and the kids to eat after we picked them up at the airport. And while we were sitting at the table, I said, Brother Puente, this is your verse. Galatians 6, 9, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you reap if you faint not. When I brought Brother Ross in to be youth pastor, I told him what I've told other youth pastors. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season you reap if you faint not. Just keep going. All right? Things don't look real bright today. Just keep going. Just be faithful. You don't stop and quit and go running off someplace else. Listen, that's the problem with a whole lot of, unfortunately, pastors Every time things doesn't go like they think they ought to go, they go running off to another church and then wonder why they never have a successful ministry. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season, you reap if you faint not. You want to be a missionary? I got news for you for Brother Nelson. It's not been a piece of cake every day he's been on the mission field. Brother Stark, we talk about his ministries today and, and wow, we look at the tremendous work done in Uganda and with him and with our other people that went out from our church and the tremendous ministry being done in Rwanda, I want you to know he's had a great number of heartaches and trials over those years. I mean, there were days when it, looked, it, it didn't look good at all. But hey, be not weary in well-doing. In due season you reap. If you faint not. You want to serve the Lord? then you got to be prepared. There are going to be some tough times. There are going to be times when it seems you're not accomplishing anything. What are you going to do? Well, the Bible says, moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You just stay faithful. You just keep plugging along. You just keep doing it. And in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. I got news for you. All the, all the uh, different kinds of grain and and food that is planted by farmers, it doesn't all come in at the same time. It all has different times before it's finally reaped. Well, even these good things like serving the Lord, hey, it may not be happening right now. Too many young pastors, they want it all to happen right now. And they get excited the first few days, you know, when he's on his spiritual honeymoon. You know, the honeymoon of a pastor where everybody loves him. They love him so much they want to eat him. Then the next year, they wish they'd eaten them the first year. And then the third year, they really start gnawing on them. They start eating them. Oh, I guess God's done with me here. And they go running off. No, man, you got you to get through that third year. You got to get through the honeymoon and just keep serving. The missionaries that have done the greatest works have been the missionaries that have simply stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed. Just keep doing it and you reap. All right, one more and we're done. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We ought to be a people who do 
good. But not just to believers. Now, especially to those who are of the household of faith, yes. But we ought to have a testimony of doing good to all men. For walking in the Spirit, that's what we'll have. Now, walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll continue on with the wrap-up next time that we get into this. We'll finish out the book of Galatians. Let's pray. Father... We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, teach us, ground us. Lord, help us to stick by the stuff. Help us to be what we're supposed to be all the time. Teach all of us to sow right so that we can reap right. We want to have a happy life. We want to have a good life, and yet we're careless in what we sow. And it's not going to work out very good like that. You've already warned us. You've warned the generations before us, and this is still good for us today and will be for the generation to follow. So, Lord, please help us to be faithful to you in this day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.